The morning was bright, and the air was crisp as Brian made his way back to Building 14, but he took none of it in. The funk from the night before had simply soured in his stomach, and so even the cheery glint of the sun on glass as it reflected a beautiful blue sky could not cut through his gloom. Brian was angry. He was angry with himself, angry with Jinx, angry with Kettle, angry with his dead-end job. Thus was his mood as he shoved his way into the building and slumped to the maintenance office. The crew had already come and gone, it seemed, which was for the better. But Brian had little time to himself before the door creaked open, and in sauntered the last face on earth he needed to see. Jinx January. Did you hear the news? The slight man chirped in an overly cheery way. Brian glared at him. Oh my, grumpy today, aren't we? Well, I can certainly understand why. But you're a big boy. You'll survive. Jinx trailed off, smiling while observing Brian's darkening countenance before continuing. The building is abuzz today. Seems that Miss Fillmore from CPS is coming back. They were here investigating that woman on the 43rd who lost her child. Jinx just prattled on as if Brian weren't even there. The man was clearly oblivious. Just an underling that shouldn't get under his skin, but Brian couldn't stand the sight of the slight man at the moment. CPS. He responded idly, if for no other purpose than to shut the other man up. Child Protective Services, of course smiled Jinx as he took a seat on a stool near the workbench. Goodness, man, you do live under a rock, don't you? Well, somehow... Here, Jinx lingered on the word before repeating it conspiratorially. Somehow, word got out that one of the building mothers lost her child. Can you imagine? Lost her child. Well, the minute I discovered that, it was my duty to alert the authorities. Jinx was cut short by Brian's response. Who? What child? Brian jerked around, suspicion filling his voice. Oh, the little girl in 4312. Very sad story, really. I'm just glad I could act in time. Wouldn't want to be in the shoes of her aunt, but probably have to take the child away. It's better that way, really. Jinx's voice was almost gleeful as he gloried in the drama he'd been able to generate off a simple rumor. For a moment, Brian sought his memory trying to recall where he'd heard the numbers before. And then it came to him in a flash as he blurted out, Joan? Joan? You turned in Joan? Anger was rising again, and this time, he just didn't care. In a moment, he'd taken the smaller man by the labels, nearly lifting him off of the ground as he snarled into his face. You turned in Joan? Why, you filthy little man! With that, Brian shoved Jinx away. The smaller man nearly toppled to the ground who caught himself hard against the door. Shock registering on his face, but quickly replaced by a stern and knowing grin. You'll pay for that, Brian. You can't just manhandle me. I'll tell Kettle about this, you can be sure. Composing himself, Jinx backed away cautiously, alert for any other physical threats from the larger maintenance chief. And you can forget Joan and her little girl. They'll be gone before morning. This isn't a fairy tale, Brian. This is life. Brian only barely held himself back this time 
and instead slammed the door to keep himself from doing anything more incredibly foolish than what he'd already just done. As the door slammed in front of him, Jinx jumped a little, but quickly straightened his rumpled shirt collar. That's right, big boy. Jinx is in charge here. <laughs> he snickered as he turned away to await the delectable return of Miss Fillmore and the drama that would ensue. <laughs> Halt! Halt! The voice of Adeline cut through the rumbling sound of the woodlings, rolling as one through the great forest toward the place of stones. But her instinct told her that something was wrong. A horn blared from one of her lieutenants, bringing the woodling host to a halt. Slowly, all returned to silence. Something is wrong. Jericho? Adeline had just turned toward her lieutenant to issue a command when the ground beneath them began to rumble and split, tossing the great trees from side to side as thick tendrils of misty darkness seeped from the broken ground to engulf the woodlings in an inky, choking mist. Pull back! Pull back! But Adeline's shout was too late as the wolf pack leapt from the darkness, tearing into the woodlings with wild eyes and foaming mouths. Adeline reared instinctively, a hoof just deflecting the dark leaping form of a wolf, who quickly bounded away and approached again in low and growling stance. Adeline, hissed Ferris, the wolf pack commander. I warned you this day would come. What have you done, Ferris? Millicent is mad with power. This will destroy the forest, destroy all of us, even you. Adeline lowered her head and lashed the wolf with her spiraling horns before leaping backward in retreat. Retreat! To the great stump! We are ambushed! Retreat! Adeline's voice was nearly drowned out by the sounds of battle all around as more dark shapes joined the wolves in the attack. It was an ambush. Somehow Millicent had completed her dark task and advanced toward the great stump far more rapidly than Adeline had thought possible. You are finished, Adeline. Run if you will, but you cannot hide. Millicent has gained the ancient powers, and she is coming for you, sneered the wolf at the retreating Adeline before shaking off the sting of the antlers, pouncing on the nearest woodland with a stone, followed by a long howl. Soon the whole wolf pack was howling as they attacked and pushed the woodlings back toward the great stump. She doesn't have the ancient powers yet, and she won't if I can help it, breathed Adeline as she turned and leapt away with her retreating forces. They would have to rally now by the great stump and somehow find a way to hold there. Following near the back of her army, Millicent lofted her wings as if to embrace the darkness that spread before her. Come, my children. Come with me to claim the prize that is ours. <laughs> Millicent's cackle was electric in the swirling darkness. Even the leaves of the great trees seemed to wither away at her approach. Now rise, titans of the earth. Rise. I command you, stones of old. Rise and follow me.
As she walked, the earth all around her tore apart as great hulking stone shapes crawled from the ground, tearing the vegetation as they did, their deep thundering steps gouging great chunks from the ground as they advanced slowly toward the great stump. There will be no stone army to save you this time, Adeline. Not this time. As the dark host roared and crashed their way forward, a lone stone creature dug its way from the ground as well. This one was much smaller than the others, and its coal-black eyes bore a hint of intellect, unlike the other lumbering beasts. As it watched the others move forward, with the advancing horde, the stone lieutenant turned and made its way back to the place of stones, for it had work to do now, before all was lost. We shall see about that Millicent. We shall see. Say, you're quite rash for a soft skin. Intoned Pete as the cockapoo stumped its way behind the small group through a winding trail with Mift in the lead. You do realize that the Stone Army's not fought in cycles upon cycles. Probably aren't any of them even awake now. If you don't mind me asking, added the fruit bat as it trailed in an awkward loping shuffle just behind Pete. What? exactly is the stone army. Now that, my stinky fellow, is the best thing you've said all day. Might actually be the only thing you've said all day, answered Pete ponderously. Why, the stone army has saved the forest more than once from all manner of dangers. Salazar chimed in after alighting on a limb just ahead of the pair. It is the greatest fighting force in all the realm and has never seen defeat. He chirped happily. Puffed Mift from the lead of the group as if to support Salazar's assessment. Oh, right. Right you are. Confirmed old Pete as he trudged along and puffed out his chest in pride. The stone army is as ancient as the ground you walk upon. The original defenders of not only the forest, but the whole realm. Some of them stand as tall as the great shaggy elephants of the north. And taller. Old Pete let out that strange barking call of his once again began swinging his wings from side to side. <laughs> Charlie couldn't help herself, giggling at the sight of the old parrot-like creature <laughs> waddling along as she continued to warm to these fascinating new companions. So, are they asleep then? I guess they must be, if we have to wake them. Why, dear, it's not merely sleep, intoned the old cockapoo. There's a mystical magical force that binds the stone army to the very bedrock of this realm itself. Deep within the ground, there is said to be an enormous stone kingdom, which when summoned by the true heir of the realm, is bound to send a tenth of its mightiest warriors commanded by the legendary stone lieutenant. 
The cockapoe's gait had grown even more grandiose, if that were possible. Yes, Charlie, they're asleep and need to wake up, added Salazar quietly, and with a knowing shake of his little yellow Just head. Just wake up! Just wake up! Just wake up! <laughs> confirmed Myth from the front of the group. Charlie giggled again and nodded knowingly back toward Salazar, but straightened her face when she noticed that the cockapoe was giving the little finch a hard stare. With a sniff and another odd barking cough, Old Pete continued. I've only seen the stone army once, way back when I was but a small hatchling. And even then, I was bigger than this little yellow snack. He hopped abruptly toward the little finch, causing Salazar to flutter into the air. So, how do we wake them up exactly? Queried Charlie, as she hid a grin and continued back after Miffed along the trail. Well now, all we need is the key, replied Pete. Yes, about that. It, it appears that the key may have been misplaced, twittered Salazar. What? Well, celestial stones, that won't do. That won't do at all, trumpeted the cockapoo. How could you lose the most important artifact to enter the realm in over a thousand cycles? He stammered while thumping a foot to the ground while fluffing his wings wide for a moment. Charlie felt absently in her pocket for the missing locket and felt instantly that this must be her fault. Oh, was my, was my locket the key? Yes, yes, Charlie, it seems that it was, but we can find another way. There is always another way, intoned the fruit bat, before stepping quickly to the side of the trail as old Pete surged forward in a flurry. You say you lost it? Why, then we need to mount a search at once and get it back. The key, the key is everything. Old Pete fluffed his large chest out, attempting to reach the girl's height, but failing to do so, he merely stepped back so as not to have to look directly up at her. Well, I... I didn't know, answered Charlie defensively. We know, we know, it's all right, Charlie, added the finch in a soothing whistle. Mift and I last saw it at the Place of Stones, and that's where we're heading. I'm sure we can find it. Mift and I can find anything. Dare you, dare you, dare you, Mift warned softly as the party stepped out of the brush onto a small ridge that overlooked a sloping clearing that led to a great circle of massive stones. Oh my, what happened here? Still seething from his recent encounter with Jinx, Brian decided to take the stairs as a way to blow off some steam, but the long climb just made his legs ache. Having soldiered all the way to the 10th floor, he exited the emergency stairwell and stepped into the dimly lit service hall, making his way to the clipboard hanging near the door. Uh, Watson 1012, 1015, 1024, vents. Pretty much everywhere, he muttered while reading through the task list. Well, might as well fix something while I'm here. He noted aloud while pushing the door open and stepping into the residential hallway. 
The dark carpeting was worn smooth down the center, and the air smelled of must, dust, and old cigarette smoke. A door closing around the corner pulled his eyes in that direction, just in time to see a familiar, if not very worn-looking face walking toward him. Joan? The words were out of his mouth before he could think, but the woman lifted her eyes at the mention of her name and offered a tired smile. Oh, good. I needed to see you anyway. Joan picked up her pace just a bit to cover the distance between them. She seemed to be holding a photo in one hand and a cell phone in the other. If it's about the air vents, I'll try and get up there today. Just haven't had the chance yet. What? She responded, looking confused. Oh, the other day. No. No, I'm not worried about the vents. It's Charlotte. She seems to have wandered off. Immediately, his heart sank. Remembering Jinx's words, which colored his next remarks. Oh. About that. Seems like the whole tower is talking about it. Joan froze nearly in mid-step, her mind whirling as her heart leapt to her throat. What? Why? She tried to gather her thoughts, but they, along with a whirl of emotions, were breaking across her mind like so many crashing waves. She's only been missing a few hours. How, how could anyone... Oh no. I've been searching door to door on every floor all day. Of course. Of course. Brian didn't know what to do, but instinctively placed a hand gently on her shoulder, giving her a few moments of silence. I'll help you find her. I have a team, and we can help. I'm sorry we didn't do something sooner. Joan was lost in the replay of every discussion she'd had that day and the night before. The odd look here and there, and the knowing nods and smiles. Of course, everyone knows because I told them. Joan, it will be alright, but I think you should head back to your apartment. He didn't want to break the news he'd just learned from Jinx. But she needed to know that child services had already been in the building, might already be waiting for her in her apartment. Yes. Yes, thank you, Brian. I may as well just keep going. If everyone is talking about it, then someone is bound to find her. She was just about to turn away when Brian responded. Child Protective Services has already been in the building. They may have sent someone to your apartment. I'm sorry, Joan. But I think you should go back to your apartment. His voice had started to trail off as he could feel the shock register through his hand on her shoulder, which he lifted immediately. The words penetrated her swirling thoughts but just hung there as an odd numbness dropped over her shoulders. What? Why child protection? That doesn't make any sense. She just ran off for a few minutes. She's never done anything like that before. Are you, are you sure? And that was the crux of it. It had to be a mistake. Brian was just mistaken, that was all. The building manager, Jinx, er, Mr. January, told me himself, Joan, you should get back to your apartment. I'll look for Charlie. I won't stop until I found her, and I know this building well. I have access to camera feeds. If she's here, I'll find her. Joan turned away in a haze, just as the elevator bell rang and doors slid open. Brian was there holding the door for her and pushing the button for the 43rd floor. 
He must have said something else as the doors closed, but Joan was numb. They can't take her from me. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not a bad mother. Just, it's just hard right now. She could feel tears cresting in her eyes, but shook them down as the doors slid back open, and then she was running, running down the hall toward her apartment. And as she rounded the corner, she breathed a sigh of relief at finding the hallway empty. Then the door to her apartment opened, and out stepped Miss Oldmeyer, who caught her eye and immediately met her in the hall, taking her by the elbow and ushering her into the apartment. She's gone now, Joan. She'll be back tomorrow. I did what I could, but I'm just... I'm so sorry. Miss Oldmeyer's voice resounded like a dull buzz as Joan collapsed onto the couch and wept. I didn't know we ordered a decorator this year. Jinx was strolling into the tall building lobby as he came upon an older man, primly dressed, standing on a ladder and stringing gold ribbon around a surprisingly good-looking tree. As the older man turned toward him, Jinx couldn't help but smile just a bit. Even the glow of his recent victory with Brian dimmed under the keen man's eyes. Why, Jonathan, I believe. Is it not? The older man replied carefully stepping down from the small ladder and brushing his hands together before offering one toward Jinx in a friendly gesture. Kurtzman. Rupert Kurtzman, at your service. The man held out his hand for a moment longer, but dropped it as Jinx made no move to return the shake. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't really do that. Germs and all this time of year. He looked about him and dropped his voice conspiratorially, adding, Sickness spreads quickly through this tower. You just can't ever be too careful. I've always found that the warmth of an authentic greeting can dispel any manner else, no matter how dark or dreary a situation may seem. While it seemed impossible, this man's smile broadened as his eyes peered deeply into Jinx's own, uncomfortably so. Drawing a smile on his face, Jinx forced his gaze away, turning from the man to the tree. How on earth did you get this thing in here? Jinx surprised himself with a question as it was exactly what he was thinking, which was rarely what he verbalized. Ah, replied the strange man with a light air and a touch of pride. You'd be amazed what can happen when you ask for people's help. It seems that a generous donation was given to the East Side Foundation to spruce up the tenant buildings during the holiday season. I've been querying the residents on a few of the floors and it seems a tree in the lobby would face the least objection. <laughs> Funny how the holidays can be the most polarizing when everyone is supposed to be celebrating togetherness. Well, hmm. Jinx found himself again without a quick comeback. The force of genuine goodwill from this man was nearly as powerful in its own way as that of Kettle. Well, I'm surprised you didn't come to me first. I am the building manager after all. Oh dear me, too true, replied Kersman. Mr. Kettle was kind enough to give the go-ahead when I met with him earlier, but... If you feel your residence wouldn't hold a treat, I'm sure I could take this elsewhere and find something else to brighten up your lobby. Perhaps a train set. The older man had lifted a hand to his chin, as if seriously considering bringing in a train display. 
Oh, no, no. If Mr. Kettle is approved, and you say the residents are happy with a tree, I wouldn't dare to get in the way. Was the man seriously thinking of putting a train in here? And what a bizarre thing to suggest, but it brought back memories of Jinx's own childish fascination with the model trains that were on frequent display this time of year. Come now, Jonathan. We have some funds remaining. What do you think the children in the building would enjoy most? A tree, after all, is pretty. But not much more than that. Jinx could feel the man's entire presence, even without looking at him. And it was as if the weight of it was somehow squeezing into all of Jinx's thoughts and memories. Feeling a sudden urge to leave, Jinx turned back to the older man and nodded as odd emotions rose in his throat. Oh, I, I wouldn't have any idea about that. He could hear himself saying as he turned abruptly and headed out of the building for some much-needed air. Just behind him, he could hear Kersman offer in a quiet tone. If you think of anything, Jonathan, just let me know. I think it's time we step things up a notch, Marvelous. Crafton's voice drifted from the trees above the great cat, as Marvelous made his way back toward the stone circle. And then a flurry of wings, as the Kia dropped to a rock just in front of the tiger's path. They're all weaklings, yet we traipse around on their errands, growled the tiger as it sat back on its haunches and eyed the large bird. You seem to have something in mind. That I do. The Heron is getting her power from somewhere or something. She isn't powerful on her own. That means we just need to take whatever it is that she has. Crystal. She's a very wary creature, though. That makes getting close all the more challenging, but not impossible. The tiger's tail swished along the ground as it spoke. She has knowledge, but she rules with fear. If she can control the others with words and tricks, we should have no trouble making our own deals. After all, everyone wants the same things. The Kia tilted its head from side to side for a moment. I've been doing some surveillance. Oh. And have you found the star? I don't think the star is anything tangible. That little locket the girl had is all burned out. But no, there are three points that are set apart from each other like a triangle. I could feel the drafts change as I flew over the lines between them. Stones are one. What are the others? Again, the deep voice of the tiger rolled like distant thunder as it warmed to a hatching plan. The second is some sort of clearing with a large stump from a tree. A tree larger than any I've ever seen, or it once was. The Kia had spent a good bit of time calculating the precise distance between the three locations, and was now certain that they were all related. The third location is Stony Mound and a series of caves. And, as it happens, there is a small party heading from there to the Stone Circle, including the girl who has somehow escaped her captivity. Then we intercept them. Taking the girl would be simple. The tiger smiled with menace as a growl grew in its throat once again. 
Oh, I think toying with them a little might be more interesting. But yes, the girl is the key. I don't think the Heron with all her growing army can do anything further without the girl. But I think we should try to align ourselves with the girl. Offer a truce to gain her help in taking down the old hag. Marvelous stood slowly once again, prefacing his next words with another low growl. She's seen you already. You have to convince her. You mean no harm this time. Well now, as it happens, that is a skill I have in abundance. And if it doesn't work, I'll have you there to just take the girl anyway. Either way, we get what we want. With a few strokes of its powerful wings, the Kia lifted itself back into the trees. They should be arriving at the stone shortly. I'll meet you there. Marvelous, the great white tiger stood silently for a moment longer, pondering the plan before turning and continuing on his way back to the circle of stones. of Charlie is voiced by Jolene Fresquez from Dice Tower Theater. Salazar the Yellow Finch is voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Mift the Chipmunk is also voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Adeline the Antelope is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Marvelous the White Tiger is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Millicent, the Great Blue Heron, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Joan Williard Stewart, Charlie's aunt, is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Brian Burke, the Maintenance Chief, is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Jinx January, the Building Manager, is voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews, Reviews Podcast. Mr. Kettle, the Landlord, is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Jeremy, a fruit bat, is voiced by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky podcast. Old Pete, the Kakapa, is voiced by Sean Yates from Kid Cryptid. Crafton, the Kia, is voiced by Kenny from A Necessary Evil. Ferris, the Wolf, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Miss Fillmore, the child services worker, is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Miss Oldmeyer, the caregiver, is voiced by Bob Anit from the Drive With Us podcast. Rupert Kersman is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. The Stone Lieutenant is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Charlie Saves Christmas is an original story written, produced, and narrated by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky podcast and is made possible by our patrons and the support of our listening audience and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. 
Please join us in applauding the tremendous talent of these wonderful friends and creators, and be sure to discover a whole new range of fantastic content as you explore each of their podcasts and creative endeavors. Thank you for listening and subscribing. For more information about this story and other productions of the Happy Go Lucky podcast, visit us online at happygolucky.com. Lucky is spelled L-U-K-K-Y. From all of us at the Happy Go Lucky podcast, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday season.